You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, and unafraid witness. Thank you for listening. Amen. Remain standing as I kneel in worship and reverence of God as we now pray to Him and ask that He illuminates His Word in our hearts. Father, we've seen a glimpse of the glory of the risen Lord by your grace. God, we've tasted of the mercy of our King. Father, we've experienced the life-transforming presence of the reality of the Holy Spirit in us, all by the grace and the mercy of our God. And so, Lord, in response to these things, what, what can we say? What can we do? This is the, you're the greatest reality of our hearts. You're the greatest truth of our lives. God, all we want to do now is to hear from you and to offer our lives as living sacrifices that you would be so pleased to bless and so pleased to, to use for your kingdom. Father, I pray as we finish up this series in Acts that you would again this morning draw us into your purpose and your mission for our lives. Not, not with a, a, an unwilling, begrudging way, God, but with a, a joyful, in a joyful way, in a way that, that, God, we want to express our worship to you by saying, God, use our lives for whatever you see fit. Father, would you speak to us so clearly today through your word? Would you draw in every heart? Would you awaken those who are sleeping this morning in their souls? And God, would you draw back those who are wandering? For those who are discouraged, God, would you strengthen them? For those who are pursuing you with all that they have, would this only fuel the fire in their souls more, Lord, to to simply give it all up, give up this world, leave the world behind, and and pursue the cross and the, the, the glory of Jesus Christ? Father, that's our prayer. We know we can't do this. We know we can't do it in our own hearts. I know I can't do it in our our people. And so, God, we're relying on you. We're depending upon you. We're asking you, God, that you just be so gracious to move us from where we are into a closer relationship with you that might be evidenced by the way we live our lives. In Jesus' name, we pray these things together. Amen. Amen. So when I was a kid, one of the things that I learned early on that I was good at uh, was being fast. I didn't try to be fast. I just, the first race I ran in school, I just learned that I was fast. And so I grew up running races. I ran the 100 meter. And every year, except for one that I can remember, I won the 100 meter in school. And 200 meter, I come in like third or fourth because a bit a little bit longer. And then the, the 400 meter, that's one lap around the track. I come in like sixth or seventh. And anything after that was a marathon to me, so I didn't run them. But from early, I just remember like every coach and every um, gym teacher that before every race I ran, they said this to me. They said, whatever you do, don't stop until you get to the finish line. Like seriously, like, don't slow down. Don't look around. Don't be caring about who's behind you or who's close. You're listening with just, just run right through the finish line. That's your only goal in this race. I wasn't, wasn't hard to convince me. I'm a type A personality. I just wanted to win, right? And so, and so that was the way I, I ran races. And, and why do I tell you that? Because we see in our Christian life the same truth. Because it doesn't, it doesn't matter how you start. What matters really is how you finish. Right? It doesn't matter how you start. What really matters is how you finish. And just check out YouTube. There's a bunch of videos of people who've, who've almost won, but like celebrated too early or started looking around, only be past the last minute. And so uh, it doesn't apply to race. It applies to our Christian faith. And so I tell you that because as we get to the last chapter of Acts, I see Paul uh, sprinting to the finish line of his mission. As we understand Paul's life, we understand our calling of Jesus. God is calling us all to not just start strong, but to finish the mission that he's called us to with greater fervency than when we started. And so the scripture today, Acts chapter 28, is going to help us finish strong. It's going to help us finish strong. And so we're just going to dive into right away uh, three truths from Acts chapter 28, three truths to propel us to the finish line. If you're anything like me, I'm scared of not finishing strong. I've seen enough people around me that, that, that started strong. We're all excited about the Lord. And, and somewhere five years, ten years later, they're not strong anymore. And they, they fizzle or they faded. I've seen too many churches start strong with all the right focus, with all the right energy in the right places, only to 30 or 40 or 50 years be a shell of what they once were. Why? Because they didn't know how to finish strong. God wants to make sure it doesn't happen in our hearts. We think about finishing strong on mission. First thing I want you to write down, it's going to be a bit of a recap this morning from the last 27 chapters, but the first thing I want you to write down is this. This will help you finish strong. 
God wants to use my life to reveal his glory. Never forget this. You run the race on mission for Jesus. God wants to use my life and your life to reveal his glory. And so here's where we pick up from Acts chapter 27. Remember, we left off in the pursuit of God's mission. Paul and 275 other people. People were spit up on shore uh, in this shipwreck and, and gasping for air, happy to be on land. Uh, I love how chapter 27 ends the same way chapter 28 starts to remind us how this all happened. And it was so that they were all brought safely to the land. Why? Because God promised he'd do that. And so he did that. 28 reminds us the same thing. And after we were brought safely through, how did they get safely through? By God's grace. Uh, we learned that the island we landed on was called Malta which means refuge in, Canaan, in the Canaanite language. And so, again, a reminder, here's, here's where Malta is. A reminder where we're on this journey. So they've been through the seas, the storms. See that little tiny island on the bottom left corner? That's Malta. God's refuge for his people. How could they even, what are the chances of even hitting that little island in a big, big storm? God chances, right? God gave them a refuge in Malta. They're going to land here for a little bit. They continue on the journey up into Rome. You can see the, the path there. But they find themselves on Malta. Refuge, remind them that, hey, God is our refuge. Uh, verse 2, the native people, we think natives isn't like all these primitive people who maybe uh, running around in loincloths, you know, like we see on the missions. That's not, that's not these people, you know, like the cannibals. That's not the natives we're talking about. The people native to the land of Malta who didn't speak Greek. So they called them all who didn't speak Greek. They called all the people's natives. So they're pretty hospitable. hospitable. Paul and his buddies land up on shore and these people bring them in and show them, look at this, unusual kindness. God gives his people favor for all that they need when they need it. And so they start lighting this fire to welcome them. Hey, welcome to our island. Top it all off, it's, starting to, it's raining out and it's cold. And so um, the people start this fire. Paul, the helper he is, a servant of Christ, and the, tired, weary, beaten up. He goes and helps light this fire. In the process of pulling out a stick, he gets bitten by a viper. A viper being a massive venomous snake that puts these great big fangs into one's flesh to ultimately cause swelling and ultimately kill people. And so the people are looking at him like, I'm summarizing for you, if you haven't picked up on that. He must be a murderer. He survived the scene. Now this snake's got him. Had a sense of justice on this island. Paul, though, he like brushes this thing off like it's a mosquito, like get lost. And so around this campfire, I was watching him like, when's he going to die? When's his, when's his hand going to swell? When's he going to die? After a few kumbaya songs, I guess. I don't know, but Paul's still alive. And he must be a murderer. And all of a sudden, like, well, he must be a god. Notice how fickle they are. Here's a, good, here's a good lesson for you, just a side note. On this mission with Christ, don't listen to popular opinion. It changes so quick. Okay? No, he must, he must be a murderer. No, he must be a god. And it doesn't say what Paul did in response to that, but I'm pretty sure he didn't be like, they're right, I am a god. Remember what happened to King Herod Agrippa in Acts 12? What happened to that guy when he's like, they're right, I am a god. Sing it again. What happened? He got eaten by worms, so Paul didn't. So probably what happened, I'm reading into the text here, probably what happened is in that time, Paul's like, same thing he did before in every other scenario. No, 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 it's not about me. Gather around the campfire. Let me tell you a story about who the real god is. Because I'm expecting probably what happened there. So they had this little campfire moment and... I'm sure Paul used that to proclaim Jesus. Verse 7, now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island. So uh, this guy named uh, Publius sounds like a Teletubby or something, but it's a, he's, he's the king of the, the mayor of the island. And so he's obviously wealthy enough to entertain uh, 276 people. So he brings them all in. And when they get to his place, um, his dad is laying sick with fever and dysentery, which is really just a fancy way for cramps and the scoots. Just trying to help you understand what the text is saying, right? It wasn't a dire disease. He's just sick. And so Paul visited him. And get this. Paul takes every opportunity to minister. He prays. And he puts his hand on Publius' dad and heals him. And so when this happens, everyone's like, wow. Like, not only can he fire a viper off his hand, but he's healing people. There's a healing ceremony in the island of Malta where Paul's in the middle of it and he's bringing glory to God. And, and we read this and we're like, wow, this, it never cease to amaze me all the bad that happens to Paul. And yet it never cease to amaze me how God uses his life in only God ways through every single circumstance that God brings him to. When we read this, and we're like, well, how does this apply to me? Here's what, here's what I want you to see in the first 10 verses of this chapter. We see Paul... His life being a documentary to the power of God. 
We see Paul availing himself to God's purposes, that his life is a documentary to the power of God. And we read this, we're like, well, how does this apply to me today? Like, like I'm not going to be healing people, and, and I pray that if I was bitten by a viper, God would heal me. But here's how I think it applies. And here's a, a good mindset I think we need to have as we pursue to live our life on mission to the very end with greater fervency. Just like God wanted to reveal his power through Paul's life in whatever way God decided, God wants to reveal his power through your life and my life, however he decides. I think one of the great dangers in the Christian faith is we come to a place where we stop assuming that God has more powerful things he wants to do in me and through me. And so we relegate our Christian life to simply, I said a prayer once, and now I'm going to go to church every Sunday. Now I'm going to like read my Bible every day. Now I'm going to sing a few songs and know the right songs. But here's what we do. We forget that the Christian life on mission is one that is powerfully used by God. God wants to use your life to reveal his power to the world around you. Don't forget what we learned in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. This whole series started first sermon. When the Holy Spirit came, what did he give us? He gave us, you can say it, power to be his witnesses. He gave us an indwelling of his, his very being in the Holy Spirit to empower us, not just to speak the truth, which is that is a major part of it, but also to be used of God, however God sees fit, that the world around us might see his glory through our lives, through your life and mine. God wants to use your life to show the world around you his power. Ephesians 1 verses 19 to 21 says the same thing. Get this. Every believer has the same power in them through the power that the whole, uh, the same power through the Holy Spirit that God used to raise Jesus Christ from the dead. Know this, brothers and sisters, the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Not this power, like, oh, now i got the power. Guess what I'm going to do for God? That's not the power we're talking about here. This is the power to no matter what circumstance you come up to, for God to show himself in and through your life that the world might see, not for your own benefit, but the world might see the reality of the God that we serve. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, this is awesome. Like, I'd love to have this same power that Paul had. Well, that verse tells you we have it. So the question comes, comes in my mind, so this is how God chose to use Paul's life. How does God want to use my life? I can't answer that for every one of us individually, but I can tell you this, that, that, that God wants you to surrender your life to him, to be available for his power to be revealed in everything. What can God do through my life? Let's think about this. God can do anything through my life that he can do. If the Holy Spirit dwells in us, God can do anything through my life that he can do. I grew up playing sports, and I told you that often, and so I've got proficient in quite a few of them. I didn't just play one. I was too uh, ADD for that, and so I played them all. And so I put a hockey stick in my hand, and I can hold my own, and put a football in my hand. I can throw it pretty far with a spiral, and uh, put a baseball glove in my hand, and I can, I can run down field, you know, run, run down pop flies. And, but every time I pick up a hockey stick or a football or a baseball glove, you know what I remind myself of? Like, this glove, this ball, this, this stick can only do so much in my hands. Can you imagine what this stick could do in like Sidney Crosby's hands so much more than in my hands can you imagine what this baseball glove could do in like Kevin Pillar's hands so much more than it could ever do in my hands can you imagine what this football could do in like Andrew Luck's hands far greater than I could ever do with it I sometimes think we fail to remember or we forget as we live on mission that what could God do with my life in his hands anything God can do so what happens is we walk through our Christian life not even looking for the power of God anymore, thinking we've experienced it all. If we're going to finish strong to the end, if we're going to bust through that finish line on mission, you know what we recapture in our hearts and in our lives? That, that, hey, God's not done with me yet. God's not done revealing his power in my life. God's not done breaking me of sin. God's not done, God's not done giving me power to speak to people. God's not done revealing himself in my life and through my life. There's more to be accomplished for the glory of God. And so I want to just take this little section here to remind us that we need to start praying for God again to move in power in our lives, for God to, to use us in ways that only he can. In whatever scenario we come up against, whether it's a hard time, God, use your power in my hard time to show that my hope is not in the things of this world, it's in you. 
Whatever you come up against. God, in my victories, show your power in my victories. May my victories testify to your goodness. God, in my time of confusion, may your power come over me that the world might look at me. How can they be holding it together? It's the power of God in me. God, help me have power to truly be your witness. This is the whole theme of Acts. We are his witnesses. God, give me the power to be your witness that I might proclaim things off of my lips that are too great for my sinful lips to proclaim, but the reality is that you've ordained them for me and I'm going to speak them. Show me your power every time I open my mouth. Point number one, if we're going to finish strong, we need to be looking for the power of God in our lives. Point number two is the next section here, verses 11 to 16. Before we get there, let me ask you this question I can't skip. Think of this power of God. What is happening in your life right now that can only be attributed to God? What is happening in your life right now, today, that can only be attributed to God? That's the power of God. Because God wants to show his power through your life. There's no greater joy than God using you for his glory. And number two is this. We think about finishing strong. I need others to fulfill God's purposes for my life. Can't forget this. I need others to fulfill God's purposes for my life. Verse 11, after three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the islands. Remember, they were holed up for the whole winter, waiting for the, 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 the seas to calm, and they take off again on a ship out of Alexandria with the twin gods as a figurehead. I think Paul put this in here, or Luke put this in here, just to re- remind us kind of the irony of it all. Who had just delivered them from the fiercest of storms? Who had done it? God did. What's the first ship they go on? They go on this, this ship with... The twin Greek gods, Castor and Pollux, who are supposed to be the patron gods of the mariners. So, what an irony. Hey, we're going on this mission for God. He's shown himself so powerful. He put us on the ship hoping for the best. We got God. We don't need these guys. Meanwhile, they're on this ship and they've now got all the goods they could need. Because look at verse 10 the people before they left, they honored them greatly and gave them everything they needed. God will provide for us every step of the way on our journey, on our mission. God's going to give us everything we need at just the right time. They're on the ship then for three days. They make a little circuit. All these names that I can't really pronounce except for Patioli. They got to the, obviously, an Italian island called Patioli. Verse 13. There they found this, brothers and sisters, inviting them to stay with them. So other Christians on this island, um, brothers from another mother, inviting them to stay for seven days. And when they came there, and so we came to Rome, and the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far away from uh, as the Forum of Apius and three taverns to meet us. And so from over 30 miles away, all these Christians are flooding to surround Paul and the missionaries on their trip to Rome, and they're probably praying with them and encouraging them. And look at what it says here. And Paul thanked God and took courage for the people that God had put in his life to encourage him along the way. Verse 16, when they finally got to Rome, they got to Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier that guarded him. Didn't have those little fancy bracelets that we have now. He had a guard right with him, chained to him probably. But here's the thing I think I want to notice out of this little section. We sometimes skip these sections. Let's get to the good stuff. Let's get to the good stuff. Here's, here's what we notice. Remember, remember last week in the storm in Acts 27? Where did Paul get his courage from? An angel of the Lord showed up, right? And, and said, it's going to be okay, Paul. You know, Take heart, like, cups up, let's go. Like, take heart, don't, don't give up. And so Paul got all his courage from an encounter with God. And, but look what's happening here in chapter 28. Where does he get his courage from? It's not an encounter with God. It's an encounter with God's people that gives him the necessary courage that he needs to keep going strong to the end. Why is it such a big deal, I think, that I want to make it such a big point of this? I think somehow in our North American individualistic society, we have the idea that it's just, it's just God and me, man. All I need is God. I don't need anybody else. If I'm going to do this, it's just me and God, and I'm going to do this. And yet, notice how God supplies for his warrior here in chapter 28. He does it through other people. I just want to tell you this, brothers and sisters, we need each other to finish this mission strong for God. Do you realize that? We need each other to finish this mission strong for God. We can't do it on our own. Where do we get our courage from? We try and muster it, can't do it. We need to surround ourselves with brothers and sisters who care about us and, and, and encourage us and challenge us to move forward for the things of God. I think somehow we've got this notion that it's me and God, nobody else. You know where that comes from? It comes from the pit of hell. 
I've seen far too many Christians try and do this thing all by themselves, and they, they're spiritually arrogant. I don't need anybody. I'm so strong. And, and only to find out like three, four, five, ten years later, they're not even anywhere near the mission of God. Why? Because they fail to surround themselves with other people to encourage them. Somewhere we've, hopefully not even in this series, but somewhere we've gotten our mindset that it, to be on mission for God means like I'm supposed to be some sort of American ninja warrior in a Christian sense. You ever seen that show where these like really strong, buff, fit people overcome all these obstacles that you or I could never overcome, even a couple of you, but not me, and get to the end. So we have our mentality, well, that's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to go out of here now and I'm going like, to accomplish everything for God. Me and God, I'm strong enough. That's not how we're supposed to think about this whole mission idea for Christ. We're more supposed to think of it in terms of um, the, ultimate, the Spartan ultimate team challenge, which is the team version of the, of the ultimate ninja, uh, the American ninja warrior. And in the team version of this, if you've ever seen this show, it's, pretty, it's also a pretty good one. If you ever want to have a few extra minutes, you want to watch something fun. It's, the obstacles are so big, no one ever, one person could do it by themselves. And, and every team is only as good as their weakest link. And, and it's grueling, it's, it's intense. And the last obstacle to overcome in this, this uh, Spartan challenge is a great, the, one, the ones I've seen, is, is a great big puddle of mud and a great big 15-foot wall. And so this group of four or five have to climb this wall together with no ropes and get over and get every one of them over. So what they do is the first one stands against the wall and braces himself. The next one climbs up on top of their shoulders. And then so forth, they climb up over everybody to the... Last one gets to the top, hops their feet over and starts pulling them up. And then they start like climbing up the outside of each other, pulling each other over the top. That's more, I think, how God wants us to see being on mission for him as we live life. Bottom line is we can't do it without each other. That's why we put such an emphasis in our church on community because we were never made to do this by ourselves. We can't do this. How many foolish people have tried? How many foolish people have failed because they... I'm good enough and I'm strong. I don't. This is why I put such an emphasis on membership because as a church leadership, we're here for you. We're, we're here with you. We're, we're calling you to come with us and so we know who's with us in this mission. Small groups, you can't, you can't just blow off small groups and think that somehow you're going to be getting stronger in your pursuit of Christ's mission on your own. You're, you're just not because it's a, a Spartan challenge, not American ninja warrior. You need each other. You need to be known by others and allow others to be known by you. You need to be used in other people's lives and allow other people to be used in your life. Bottom line is we can't do it on our own. That's what this is teaching us. I don't think, I don't think Paul could have done it on his own. I know, I know in my own heart, there's no way I could be standing here after 20 some odd years of ministry, after six years of planning. There's no way I could be here on my own apart from surrounding myself with godly people. I had a mentor encourage me not too long, like early on in ministry, like, who's praying for you? I can't do it. I'm so, well, who's praying for you? I don't have anyone praying for you. Well, get a prayer team that you email every single week and ask them to pray for you specifically because you're not going to do it without people around you that are praying for you. That's the first thing I want you to notice in, in the, how, do people, how are people going to encourage us? Go to the next slide, Russ. How, do, how are people going to help us fulfill our mission? The first thing is to pray for us. James 5.16 says this, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. We need to pray for each other. We need to intercede for each other. When you go through your list of prayers at the end of the day, it's not just for your own self, for your health and wealth and all that stuff. It's for greatest prayer. God, help people know Jesus. God, help my brothers and sisters finish strong this race. You can't do it without the power of prayer. Tried. Doesn't work. I think of Moses when the, in, in Exodus chapter 17 when Israel was fighting uh, Amalek. And remember that whole thing where the, the, how was the victory won? It wasn't by Moses out there fighting. His arms were up in the air. I remember he got, during the day he got tired. He couldn't hold them up anymore. So Aaron grabbed one and I'll hold this one up for you. And her on the other side, I'll hold this one up for you. And the victory is won as, as, as Moses was propped up by his brothers in Christ. We're propped up by prayers by our brothers and sisters in Christ. You need to be praying for others and allowing others to pray for you. We also uh, draw great courage in the mission. That's where we're going for, courage, right? We're through, through encouragement. It's prayer, it's encouragement. Sometimes you need someone to come alongside of you and just encourage you. You can do this. You are doing this. God is using you. Don't give up. Keep going. God's doing it. Slap on the back. How often you need one of those? Often, right? Can't do it without encouragement. 
You think this summer we, uh, we signed up our son to his chagrin. We signed him up for uh, the junior lifeguard class. And so we broke the news to him. Zach, you get to go to junior lifeguard this summer. Really? What's that mean? It means like four hours every day for two weeks, like studying and doing laps. He's like, I can't do it, Dad. I'm like, yes, you can, son. You can do it. A little bit of brag time to you, right? But yes, you can. First day, I can't do it. They make you tread water for like a minute and a half. Meanwhile, Ruth said, you complained the whole minute and a half. Didn't you realize a minute and a half was up? <laughs> Did it. Two weeks later, like, did all the laps, did all the studying, did all the saving, everything. Couldn't have done it without encouragement. We can't do it without encouragement either. You just have to know that Hebrews, Hebrews 10, 24, write this one down. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. Let us consider how to stir one another up to keep going. What's true in our physical lives, working out with a buddy and, and running with a partner and, and joining a diet group is also true in our spiritual lives. We need to stir each other up and help each other be motivated and encourage each other to keep going. Ephesians 4.29, build each other up in the things that honor God. This is what it means to really finish strong. I'm sure some of you in here today just need a good dose of encouragement. Let me be the one to encourage you. You're feeling discouraged. You're feeling tired. You're feeling like... All these things about on mission you can't do by yourself. Let me encourage you. God will do it for you. God will do it with you. Just surrender yourself again to God and decide to be on his path. He'll do it. Don't give up. Don't give up. Let that be your little slap on the back. Here's the other thing we need from each other. We need exhortation. No one likes exhortation, but boy, do we need exhortation. Amen? Here's what exhortation is. It's, it's someone come alongside you. They're not giving you a slap on the back. They're actually giving you a kick in the pants in a loving way. Like, hey, come on, like, get focused. The things of this world don't matter. Get back on God's agenda. Hey, this, this sin thing in your life, it's not as, as gratifying as it seems. It's killing you. Why don't you try to get on the righteousness path and let God uh, do that again? Hey, hey, you can talk about all kinds of things, about sports and stuff, but why don't you spend your time investing in, in trying to get a spiritual conversation going? Sometimes we need a kick in the pants. I know it's been hard. I know you've been hurt, but you know what? You can do it. Get up again and get back in the ring. You have to get back in the ring. And start swinging again. I love you too much to leave you sitting here doing nothing for the Lord. But sometimes we need to be exhorted that it's worth the fight and the battle scars for Jesus are the ones that are going to last forever. Let me give you a verse to back that up. Because I know no one likes to be exhorted, but we, we need to come to a place where we're open to being exhorted by other believers because we need it. And we're open to exhorting other believers because they need it. We can't do it any other way. Hebrews 3, verses 13 and 14, get this, but exhort one another every day. I'm not even saying that, I'm making this up. But exhort one another, how often? How often, pastor? Every day, it says. As long as it's called today. So is today a good day? What's well, today today? Then today's a good day to exhort your brothers to pursue Jesus. Why? That none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For if we've come to share in Christ, for we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. I'm sure some of you need this today too. We've been studying this for a whole year and some of you need to be exhorted to now put into practice. We've been studying this for a whole year and some of you probably have never done anything with this except for hear it all in your head and, and, and talk a little bit, but, but you need to be exhorted today that, that if you've quit being on mission, get going for Jesus. Some of you need to be exhorted. You've fallen, so get back up and get back in the game. Some of you have lost focus and you need to be exhorted. Like, like, get your focus back. Do it. No excuses. No tomorrows. Like today. We sometimes need that in our lives. I need that. You need that. Truth is this. If you try and finish this mission on your own, it's like trying to swim up current, holding on to one of those little pool noodles. You're just going to start floating backwards. You get a few friends around you that jump onto that noodle and start kicking with you. You won't just survive. You'll make headway in your pursuit of mission. You can't do it alone. And I think we ought to take some notes from Paul on this too before we move on to the last point. I have verse 15 circled in my Bible. This note, Paul thanked God. For what? for the people in his life who were going to pray for him and encourage him and exhort him to keep going. He thanked God and took courage from the people God had put in his life. I think far often we take each other for granted. 
When was the last time you stopped to thank God for the people who truly love you enough to keep you accountable? Oh, but they're so annoying. They're frustrating. They're badger. When was the last time you thanked God for them? When was the last time you thanked God for the brothers and sisters who are committed to meeting with you every week, week in and week out with all the things going on because they care about you enough to put mutual ministry in your life? I want to tell you this, brothers and sisters, we can't do it alone. You can't do it alone. You try and do it alone, I can already guarantee what's going to happen. You know, it's not going to work. We need each other to help us and encourage us and exhort us to keep going to the very end. We need each other to give us courage as we watch each other struggle sometimes but get through as we watch each other have victory sometimes but, but come out on top. We need, to, we need each other to keep going. Point number three, lastly, it's this. I must pursue passionately my ministry calling. If I'm going to keep going to the very end, if I'm going to go through that finish line uh, faster than what I started, I must passionately pursue my missionary calling. So we see here Paul's finally in Rome in verse 17. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews, and when they had gathered, he said to them, so he calls in the Jewish leaders in Rome, but he calls in the Jewish leaders. He wants to talk to them first before he goes into this whole trial thing. Brothers, though I have done nothing against our people, notice our people, he says, are the customs of our fathers. I haven't, I haven't desecrated the law. I haven't done all these things that they've accused me of. I'm just trying to preach Jesus. He says, yet, yet I was de- delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem in the hands of the Romans. He tells them a story. When they examined me, verse 18, they wished to set me at liberty because there is no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. Notice Paul's missionary heart here. He's like, he, he's like I'm wearing this chain, but it's not going to stop me from, from proclaiming the hope of Israel. You guys have been longing for a Messiah. I'm just telling you, the, the Messiah has come, and his name is Jesus. They said to him in verse 21, this is sort of what, not what you'd expect. They said to him, we've received no letters from Judea about you, and none of our brothers concerned he, coming here have reporters spoken any evil against you. Like, we, we don't even know what you're talking about. You're, I, I don't even know what you're talking about. It's like, it's like the, the, defense, the defense didn't show up. The prosecutor didn't show up. And so the defense is like, well, there's no case. So obviously, we live in a day with texting, right? Wouldn't it be nice to live in that day where everything didn't come before you got there? So probably what happened was because of that storm, that kind of catapulted Paul ahead. Everyone else is hunkered down for the winter. He's way ahead now. He's in Malta. He probably beat the news to Rome. And so what God has done is really just set him up for a whole season of unhindered proclamation of the gospel with no opposition. It's pretty cool how God does that. So they didn't know. The news hadn't got from Jerusalem to the the Jewish people in, in Rome. So verse 22, but we desire to, guess what they said, but we desire to hear from you anyways what your views are. For with regard to this sect, the one that you're accused of being, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. So verse 23, they set up a little meeting. They come to Paul, and in great numbers it says, so this huge platform for Paul to now unhindered speak the gospel to the, to the Jews in Rome. And look at this, from morning till evening, all day he expounded to them. Expanded what? He's going through the scriptures. He's going through the Old Testament. They, they studied the Old Testament. They knew the Old Testament. Paul's like, you want to know about the Messiah? You your hope? This is what was said about Jesus. This is how he fulfilled it. This is what he said about Jesus. This is how he, 300 of those. So he took them all day to get through all the prophecies. Notice this. He knew his scripture and he knew how to apply it to the context of what he was, where he was ministering. Key for you. Knowing scripture, knowing how to apply it. So all day. He's testifying the kingdom of God, not, not about heaven, but the salvation of God. That's the kingdom, the, the, the rule of God, that, that kind of kingdom of God. Trying to convince him about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. I love this because we don't ever see it in Scripture, the terms missionary heart. But you know what we see in Paul? We see in him a, a God-given inner resolve to be a missionary until the day he dies. Remember when he first saved in Acts chapter 9? I, I told you this. What, what was, what was his, his message from Ananias? You've been, you've been God's chosen instrument to proclaim the gospel. Chapter 27, he, Paul reminds us in chapter 27 
That, that, it's, that it's God who's called him. That, that God's called him to, to, to proclaim to those who, who will listen the, the truth of Jesus Christ. And, and we see from the moment he's saved to the moment he dies that, that, that Paul never wavered from his missionary call and having a missionary heart. I even love how in this verse here, he took all day to tell somebody about Jesus. That's a missionary heart, don't you think? Oh, I'd like to tell you about Jesus right now, but I'm so busy, I got like... I don't think there's ever a time where it came across Paul's life where it's like, I'm too busy to tell you about Jesus. That's a missionary's heart. I love God, and I love you enough to open up my life to you and share with you the good news of Jesus Christ. In each of our staff offices, there's a little plaque that I've given each of them. It's, it's this to remind us to have a missionary heart, to remind us what we do, why we, what, why we do what we do every week. It's just a, a picture of a cross, just a portion of the cross with a hand of the nail going through it. And on it says simplicity and clarity and urgency. To remind us that the, the, we're not just doing a job here at Harvest Niagara. We're not just, we're not just filling in some hours and getting a paycheck. There's, there's urgency to the job that we do and, and, and really is to help people, help our staff have a missionary heart. You think it would serve us all well in our church to have maybe not that picture on our wall, but that same truth on the tattooed on every one of our hearts. A picture of the cross and a nail going through a hand with, with the words simplicity, the words clarity, and the words urgency. Because the gospel is not that difficult. It's God is holy and perfect, and we are sinners, and he sent Jesus Christ to take our sin that we might have a relationship with him, and, and all who turn to him by repentance and faith will have that very relationship with God. Simple, it's not hard. Clarity to to study the word and to know how to communicate that in a clear way, that's on us. God gives us everything we need, but there's a due diligence on our behalf to to want to know how to communicate this the best way possible to those around me. And then an urgency. An urgency to know that, man, I can spend my life on a lot of things, but if it's it's on the wrong things, I miss out. But on the right things, the only thing that lasts in all of eternity is, is our relationship with God and those whom we brought with us. And did you know this, that it's not just Paul who has had a missionary calling? Every single one of us has a missionary calling. Write these two verses down. 2 Corinthians 5.20 We are ambassadors for Christ. We are called to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ. We're called to be used of God, that God would make his appeal through us for others to be reconciled to God. How does God get the gospel out? Well, he got the word out, but it's through us as believers to appeal to others, to beg others to be reconciled to God. Write this verse down, 1 Thessalonians 2.4. This isn't just Paul's calling, it's our calling. But just as we have been approved by God, how are we approved by God? Through Jesus Christ. Just as we've been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. God has entrusted to us. Hey, one day, why don't you share the No, it's not one day, hey, why don't you share the gospel? I've entrusted to you the most precious message that you could ever have come off your lips. He's entrusted to us the gospel. So we speak, get this, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. This missionary calling is your calling and it's my calling. I'm not trying to motivate you through this series and acts to anything other than what God's design is for our church and for your life. God's missionary mandate on your life is simple. Let me give you three words you can take out of this series. And just let me give you three words and then a recap of what this looks like. Here's God's missionary mandate for our lives is to study the word of God, that we might know God and be deep in God and, and know uh, how to articulate our faith, to seek opportunities with those around us, whether it's your friends or your family or your neighbors, whether it's on the street with a complete stranger, in the coffee shop, in the bus stop, in your backyard as you're leaning over the fence, as you're going to your family walk, to seek opportunities to speak the truth of Jesus Christ. And there's not one specific way to do this. We've studied this throughout all of Acts. I'm not called to preach. You are. Preach is one of those words. This is some of the words that God has reminded us of over this whole last year, how we, how we share our faith with others. It's preach. 
It's to give testimony to what God has done in your life. It's to share, to invite, to have a part of your life you could share with them and hold open for them the words of life. It's, it's to uh, convince and to persuade and to even sometimes debate the truth. It's to open up your life to gospel conversations that will lead to an end of sharing the truth of a God who loves so much that he sent his very own son to die for our sins. And it's always with open Bible, letting the scripture do the work. I think Paul teaches us that in this last part. He's, he's, he doesn't have great eloquence, I don't think. He says that in the different parts of the Bible. He's not an eloquent guy. He's, he doesn't come up with any great illustrations. He's like, here's what the Bible says. Here's how it applies to your life. Here's what the Bible says. Here's how it applies to your life. I'm going to do this as long as it takes for the gospel to take root. Missionary mindset. Do you have a missionary mindset today? You need to come to church today. You're coming to, to, to be served just to get a little high and then to go home and have a good week? Or are you coming to be fed that you might go and live out the glory of God in the coming week that others might see Jesus in you and through you? This is our call. We're called to be missionaries, every one of us. Knowing this, verse 24. And some were convinced by what he said. As we share Christ, some are going to be convinced. Isn't that encouraging to you? Some will be convinced. Not everyone's going to say no. Some are going to say yes. I've, I've been wondering about that. I've been longing for that. And what happens when they're convinced? We rejoice in the fact that God's saving souls. Is it because you're so smart and so eloquent? Never, never. We rejoice in the fact that God somehow used us to save a soul. And so we rejoice and we go encourage that God will not let his word return void. Some are convinced, look at what you have to also know though, verse 24, but others disbelieved. Some were convinced, but others disbelieved. This, this idea of, being, of disbelieving, it's, it's not even like the, nah, I don't have time for that. It's, it's a like, get out of my face with that. Don't be bringing that stuff around my house or my shop. Others disbelieved. I think this is what keeps us from sharing our faith. Like, well, what if they disbelieve? What if they disbelieve? And we forget about the ones who will come to Jesus. And so don't focus on the ones who will disbelieve. There will be those. I don't want to set you up for like failure in that. Well, I've shared three times and they all disbelieve, so I'm not going to share anymore. Are you sure that I've shared much more with people who have disbelieved than with those who have believed? But the hope keeps on going that there will be some who respond. If you go in thinking everyone's going to respond, you're going to get discouraged, you're going to quit. Just know that some are going to disbelieve. There's going to be people you love that disbelieve that shouldn't hinder you from sharing. Look at how... Really, the book of Acts ends, it sort of ends in a different way. Verse 25, and so disagreeing among themselves, they departed. After Paul had made one statement, so they had this little debate about this. Well, some are convinced, others are having a little debate. Well, I think he's right, I think he's wrong. Then Paul said this, which caused the whole thing to disperse. He goes this, quotes this from Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say you will indeed hear but never understand. You will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull and with their ears they can barely hear. And their eyes they have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. Really what we're being reminded of here is that sometimes people are going to like shut us down. More often than not, probably, people are going to shut us down like we shut down telemarketers. Hello, who are you? What do you want? Click. Please don't call back. That's just the reality of our mission. Here's a pump up for you, hey? That's just the reality of our mission. That probably most of the people that we share Christ with are not going to respond. Because God says in his word that the wide is the path that leads to destruction and narrow is the gate that leads to life. But that doesn't mean we stop sharing. It doesn't mean we don't have a missionary mindset. I know some people think, have thought this thought, well, if, if like one out of 50 are going to res- respond, then I'm just not going to bother. Why do we keep going then if so many are going to reject? Why do we keep going in the hopes that just the one, just the one will respond and their lives will be changed forever and the angels in heaven, Luke 15, will be rejoicing because one is saved. One sinner turns from sin and turns to repentance. And think of the impact on that one person. If even God gives us grace to even see one or two or three in our lifetime come to know Christ, what a a joy that we impacted one or two or three. You hear about that plane crash a few years ago, 2011, the Russian Russian plane that went down with a hockey team on it. 
locomotive. Out of 45 people on board, one person survived. And I guarantee you, if you were to sit and chat with Victor Sizov today, he would tell you that every rescue effort was worth it. All the money, all the people, everything was worth it. That he would have life and still be alive today to go home to his wife and kids. I guarantee you he'd say it was worth it. Thank you to all the rescue crews. Even though 44 died, one was saved. Thank you for saving me. Do we love God and love people enough to put it all on the line for even just the one who will come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? That's a missionary heart. That's a heart that gets God's love and God's grace. I I fear this, that our... Christian North American church is not like the rescue crew that went on that trip to rescue the Russian plane, but, but more like the guy that I watched on a YouTube video last week on a news video, not YouTube, news video. You know that whole uh, terrorist attack in Spain? 13 people died, 100 were injured. There's people flying trying to rescue people. There's one guy walking through the crowd with his cell phone on taking video of the carnage. It was on USA Today. And finally, our medic's like, you know, I don't know what he said in Spanish, but he's like, get out of here with that. And I'm watching it go like, drop your stupid phone, man. There's people like lying on the street bleeding, and you're videotaping it? And then so he, all this guy did is he got scolded, he slowly backed off just to get a broader view of all the carnage. And probably sold it, that's why it was on USA Today. And I asked myself, is that more like how our Christian church is today? walking through the carnage of people don't look lost and dying, but they are. We know the soul. We know the reality of their souls from the Bible. Without Jesus, they are dead in the soul. They are on a path. They're under Satan's power. They're on a path to hell. And I sometimes wonder if we're so busy, like with our Facebook moments, getting everyone to know what we had for lunch and all the good things in our lives that we, we, in essence, walk through life taking selfies and video of all the carnage and not dropping the stinking phone to do something about it. God's calling us to the book of Acts simply to get in on his rescue mission and let him save whoever he's going to save but be a part of the glorious work of proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ to all who will hear. This is verse 28. This is Paul's mission. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation is of God has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. Let it be known that salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. Here's what Paul's mission statement I think, think would be to let the salvation of Christ be known. To let the salvation of Christ be known. This is a mission statement of every believer. To let the salvation of Christ be known. Put it in everyday terms for our mission statement could be this. To love Jesus, grow in him, and tell of his greatness. To love Jesus, to grow in him, and tell of his greatness. Is that how you're living your life today? If you are, then you're living just like the early church and God's going to do great things through you. If you're not, then you're missing out the whole calling of what it is to even be a Christian. You have to wonder if you really understand the grace of God through his son. Verse 30 says this, he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him. This picture of welcoming and proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And then Acts 28 is over, the book is done. You're like, well, that was kind of a random way to end, don't you think? Just kind of stop. We know what happens after that just to help you see that Paul actually finished right to the finish line. Actually, after this, he stayed there for a couple of years. He had this season of just preaching the gospel, no opposition, just this season of freedom to preach. And then he went on another missionary journey, got arrested again, got brought back to Rome, where he was beheaded just outside of Rome in about AD 67, somewhere around there. And so for Paul, it didn't end. For the church, it doesn't end at Acts 28. Acts 29 is actually being written right now by the church of Christ here on earth until he comes back. This unstoppable church is never going to end. It's going to go right to the very end until Jesus comes back. And so Acts 29 is being written right now by us. Your life and my life is writing Acts 29. God's not done yet. He's done when he comes back. And he's called us to just be like the book of Acts, the early church. And when this story is actually finally complete, when we're all with God in glory and the whole thing is done, let me ask you this. Is your name going to be recorded somewhere in the book of Acts as one of Christ's followers who is willing to put it all on the line for Jesus? Well, somehow your name might not be in that list. You might be in heaven. 
that somehow you missed God's complete plan for your life here on earth. Let me ask you this, is our church going to be one of those churches? That God, Here's a faithful church. Look at this church, Acts 29, man. It got harder after Paul, not easier. Look how this church was so faithful. They weren't just coming to church to get their little holy high and go home. They were actually on mission, loving me with everything that they have, just like I love them. Is our church going to be a faithful church, a part of God's unstoppable plan? Here's what the missionary heart really is, as we've seen through the book of Acts. God, I am here to be used for your glory, whatever it takes, whenever God calls, wherever God leads, whoever God places before me, my life is for Jesus to be on mission for him. That's, that's the missionary heart that we're aiming for here in the book of Acts. That's what I'm praying for, for all of us, that we wouldn't just come and here, close the book, go home, it's done now, let's move on to something bigger and better. This is it, this is God's plan for the church, this is God's plan for your life, you miss this, you miss it all. Father, thank you for this study in the book of Acts. God, I pray from the bottom of my heart that we wouldn't just now close this chapter of this sermon series and move on like nothing happened. This is our ultimate joy, Lord. This is our life to know you and to make you known to the world around us. God, would you capture us again with an urgency to love you and to share the good news of Jesus with those around us? God, would you keep us faithful to the very end? God, would you protect us from individuals as being people who start strong and and don't finish well. God, may we finish stronger than we started uh, by your desire and Paul's example. God, would you keep us as a church pursuing the things that matter most, Lord, and not getting sidetracked with all the peripherals. God, keep us being a church that preaches the word of God and prays with all of our heart and worships you with all that we have and boldly proclaims the truth of Jesus Christ. Father, would you find us faithful in our lives, in our church? God, I pray even today in this room here that that men and women, boys and girls will be recommitting their lives to living their life on mission, determining in their hearts with you, by your grace and your strength. I'm not going to waste another week. I'm not going to waste another month, another year. I'm going to live every day the best, the best way I know how for the glory of my Father. Would you do this in us, God? We know this is where the fullness of our whole being is found and our whole life is found. And God, we sure don't want to waste it. We sure want to make an impact and we sure want to get to the end and say, wow, we spent it all for Jesus. That's going to be a life worth it. Help us in these things, Lord. Speak to us, move us, do what you need to do. Take us out of here now, Lord. Not just going home and doing a regular thing, but going out of here into our mission field with a missionary mindset and a missionary heart. Thank you in Jesus' name.